Welcome to the 32nd episode of the No Degree Podcast. This is your host, Janayat Iqbal, and today's guest is Drew Hulbert. Drew's dream was to become a Marine. He trained extremely hard in high school. However, due to a peanut allergy, he couldn't pursue this path. He learned so much about the body, and this information helped him do what he does today. He started off by flipping items on eBay while also working at a sushi restaurant. He then started working in the gym. He realized he wanted to go off on his own and started his own company. He is currently the owner of Amex Training, a boutique personal training company. Learn how Drew gained skills and got to where he is today. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show isn't possible without you. Let's get this show started. Hey, Drew. So tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do today. Man, I am just happy to be here. So what I'm doing today is helping professionals spend all day on their computers, essentially fix their bodies with exercise routines. So neck pain, back pain, hips, the shoulders, all this kind of stuff that's super common because of our work environments. I have found a solution that is training that works preventatively so that I can help people just alleviate these problems before they actually end up hurting themselves and having to go to the doctor and you know get pain medication, all that stuff. I don't want people to deal with that. So I've discovered a solution that works proactively through exercise to help people with that stuff. And that's what I'm doing today. I'm doing it you know, in person, not as much anymore, online, a whole lot. And, you know, that's kind of what I fill my time with. It's my passion. I absolutely love it. And it's, you know, what I'm here to talk to you about. Yeah. So how'd you get into it? It's um a long story. So, <laughs> and I kind of fell into it. When I was in high school, I wanted to be a Marine, a Marine recon. That was like my, my jam. I was super into it, like really gun ho about it but it didn't work out because of an anaphylactic peanut allergy. So when that was the thing, they were like, hey, you know, we can't take you, maybe try the Air Force. And I didn't want to go to the Air Force. They were like, all right, well, this isn't going to work. I tried to fight the regulation for like a year and a half by desensitizing myself to the peanuts. It means exactly what you think. I tried to eat little bits of peanut. Like I started like one gram. You didn't die? No, I didn't. <laughs> and at one gram was enough to like, like I need to take like some Benadryl and stuff, but like one gram and I like, I made it that much. So I do that like for like a couple of weeks and then I try to go to like two grams and then three grams and four and like, just try to progressively build a tolerance to it. That didn't work. <laughs> I did it with some doctor supervision. It was kind of like a desensitization therapy, something, something, something. It wasn't like insurance approved or anything at the time. And, you know, it got me almost there, but not all the way. They wanted me, the master sergeant was like, you need to be able to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and run around the track. And if you don't die, we'll let you in. <laughs> and so he was um, pretty adamant about that. So when that failed, I had developed a lot of knowledge from a lot of different resources and places when I was trying to get myself in shape for that, because I was not an in-shape person. Like I was very, very small. Like, I could do push-ups or pull-ups and like I didn't have any endurance. And like I had to learn all that stuff and, and build it. And I was like, I needed to do it because that was my goal was to be in the Marines. So I took all that knowledge and I was like, well, I'll just go be a personal trainer. Like you can do make some good money doing that. Like I like it. You know, it's it, it's a good fit and I can go do it right now because it's like all I need is a certification. I went to that. It took me like a day basically, because I knew all the information. I looked over the manual and I was like, oh, I already know all this stuff. Let me just take the test online and like, we're good. Did that, started training clients at like a, you know, big box gym, crunch fitness, that kind of thing. It, uh, and I just saw people being pushed in the door, pushed back out. They weren't really helping them in some sense. And when I did get clients to kind of stick around for a period of time, because I wasn't doing any sales, I was just doing the delivery of the training. I was like, oh, the reason you can't like get in shape is because you can't come to the gym for more than like a couple days at a time before like something starts to hurt on you and like your back starts to hurt. And so you can't make it to the workout and that kind of stuff. And I was like, that was a major problem that I kept running into. And I was like, maybe there's a barrier to entry here when it comes to getting in shape that we're not addressing properly. So I started to kind of adjust my training and experiment with some stuff with the people that I was training at that gym. And that's when I started to kind of develop this program and this idea. And then I was like, all right, I need to get into my own environment so that I can really just push this exactly. So I got a gym to 
let me come in and train my own clients, do my own sales and marketing, that kind of stuff, and set up shop there, started doing it and getting clients in and worked really, really well. It's kind of like a after physical therapy or not quite physical therapy, but the step before that or the step after that was kind of what I filled for people. And it just worked really, really well for getting people to move better. And that was kind of the the key to unlock the door to getting in shape and like being healthy and maintaining all that stuff. Because if you couldn't move, you couldn't train. And people were kind of just getting thrown into exercise routines that were a little, you know, too deep in some sense. They were just jumping into the deep end of the pool before they addressed these fundamentals that take time. And that was kind of the thing that I had to sell people on. And and it actually worked really well. I was like, hey, this is going to take longer. And so if you're looking for a trainer to just like help you lose weight as quickly as possible, please consider somebody else. And I actually got a lot of positive feedback from that for some reason. And you know, it kind of it's counterintuitive in some sense. If you want this result, I want it as fast as possible. You know, that's kind of what most people think. And when people were like, okay, yeah, let's, you know, let's do the long-term thing. Let's see how this works. I was like, oh, this is where I want to be. And then I just dropped the whole weight loss thing altogether. And I was like, I just focus on this problem because there's like, there's more than enough here to, to, to really just address with people. So I didn't need to even market things that way. And I kind of made that shift. And that's kind of how I got to where I'm at, how I found the problem, how I started kind of solving it. Now I'm doing like digital courses and like hybrid type training and a bunch of different stuff for it. So that's kind of the rundown of how I found the problem and how I got into it. And there's some little things I left out, but you know, we can go over that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's pretty cool. So it seems like you're a very entrepreneurial minded person that you're always thinking that obviously sometimes things doors close, but that doesn't stop you, right? You kind of think about the net. So what was your first entrepreneurial experience, right? Because I know you mentioned you did a couple of things. Do you mind sharing that? The first, like, I kind of knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur in high school because I was like, I'm not going to school. I don't want a job. Like, I don't want that stuff, but I did want to be a Marine. I was like, I do like that for some reason. Like it was really attractive to me when I was like, I want to go for four years, kind of like do the college experience, but in the military, I was like, I want to go kind of just hang out, like lift some weight, shoot some guns, like be paid to kind of be a grunt. And I'll be cool with that. Like that's four, it's just four years. And then I can kind of start this other stuff. So in school, I kind of knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial, but I wasn't sure what that was. And then when that fell through, I was like, okay, we just skipped four years basically. So we're at the end of the four-year period. What do we do? So that's why it wasn't like a, a door closed. It was more like, oh, we just kind of pushed up the timeline in some sense. And that's how I thought about it. And it made it a little bit easier. You know, it's still kind of tough because that was something that I put like five years into to really like try and get myself ready from when I was 19 was when I finally decided like, okay, this isn't going to work. And yeah, I was like kind of 14, 15 ish frame when I was like, I want to do this. So that was like a big chunk, but that investment kind of paid off because I pivoted it into this. So my first entrepreneurial thing though, was my first failed one was drop shipping. You know, yeah. <laughs> every, everybody gets, every young person gets, I mentor Kate and he's like, yeah, I was like, look, drop shipping is not as easy. You got to be good in like Facebook ads. You got to like know a lot of things like, you know, you can't just drive traffic to your website. Like, that's not how things work. I had no idea. Like, I, I mean, I bought the course and was kind of like working at it. And I actually have a product idea that I will relaunch at some point because it was based around like a health and wellness thing. And I was like, look, if I can build a an actual business and audience kind of around the stuff, then maybe there's a potential to launch this in a way that like would maybe actually work. <laughs> yeah. The health and wellness ads wise is so competitive. Like that industry is like, so yeah, it's better to build an audience outside doing something else so that you can come. Cause if you don't build an audience ads, the ads for that get competitive and expensive. And I knew like nothing about it. So that was kind of like the first thing. And that was like a no go. And then I had waiting tables for the longest time. And so I kind of, when I was uh, 16, the gym that I was working out at was right next to this old sushi bar. And so I'd always go eat sushi afterwards. And I kind of learned the menu and they offered me a job. Tina and Alan, I'm still friends with to date. Like they're, they're like family now, you know, I go watch their kids every once in a while. It was like a 14 table restaurant, just really small hole in the wall place, but like the best sushi in town. It was a weird little dynamic that I kind of stumbled across there. And when I was there was when I kind of got into just flipping basically like the whole Gary V style. Like I was just kind of grinding things out, you know, so I was like waiting tables 
And then anything that we ordered at the restaurant or the little boutique next store ordered, I just took all those boxes and I used them to go pick stuff up. Like I was using, I was take those boxes, I'd cut them, I'd flip them inside out. So that they're, you know, whatever the weird, like it was like, you know, seaweed paper, you know, is on the inside of the box. And so that I would use that to like flip everything on eBay and like off Facebook. And I had an eBay account and I was like doing collectibles. I was really big into Legos when I was a kid. So like I had a bunch of that, which kind of got me started. It was like, I sold all the Lego stuff. Then I, like I knew the Lego game. So I went and bought a bunch of, you know, Lego boxes and kind of like would pick through the pieces individually. I knew like what stuff was important and what stuff wasn't. And kind of just from, I don't know, having a bunch of Legos as a kid. And that was kind of the first thing, you know, so on eBay, just selling Legos and toys and buying stuff on Facebook and going and flipping it, Craigslist, you know, free cabinets, that kind of stuff. And then just selling for 50 bucks and just doing that, you know, so that was like a year or so of in between. I finally stopped that when this training started to kind of take up most of my time. And I was like, I can't do both. Uh, so I have to kind of let that go. And, you know, it was fine. I sold all the inventory I had um, or most of it. I still have some stuff, but it's like uh, just weird, like little Lego pieces, uh, like some collectible type stuff that I found at yard sales, plush toys, things like that. Unlisted them and they're just sitting in the attic. So I have to, I've been meaning to get back on that, but uh, that stuff, like you know, there's some weird things. I got a Kermit the Frog that sold for like 50 bucks it was used condition. Like I picked it up at a yard sale for like 50 cents. And I was like, I know that there's something about this one that like it just kind of, I wasn't sure what it was. It had like a metal interior in some sense, like a wire frame. And so I was like, it's a little nicer quality. I was like, I'll give you, the lady wanted a dollar. You're not getting a dollar. I'll give you 50 cents. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I used to flip and I'll tell you my failed flipping just like, you know, so I bought these. It's like a collectible Batman, the Dark Knight Rises DVD thing. And it was like 40 bucks. But at the time it was going for like 90. So it was like a quick flip. But I got greedy and I was like, let me wait. So it like I waited and eventually they changed the category. You needed to get approval to list this on Amazon. And now it's like I've given like that was like 2012 that I bought this. So it's still sitting around. So I now I just give them to like people that I like that like Batman. How many did you buy? Dude, I must have bought like 40 of them. <laughs> I bought a lot. It was like, that's funny. Just enough that I gave, I still have like five left, but thankfully I've been able to give it to good people. So it came out, you know, I never bought bulk. I never, I only had like one or two of things, you know, I never found anything where I was like, Oh, I know I could buy a bunch of these. I never had that. I never, I never ran into that. I probably, I probably would have done it. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, what else did I buy? I bought like the, you know, the Amiibo figures, the Nintendo, the switch figures, so at the time it was hard to get and I didn't buy it to flip. I just bought it. I was like, all right, I want one in the box. I want one to play. I want one for my nephew. I want a backup. And I just never got enough time. I just never got time to play video games. So <laughs> <laughs> it just takes up. So as you see, like on the top, like you see those things on the yeah, top yeah, over there. Yeah. As you see, I'm like a big, I used to, what I, what I used to buy, like Pokemon cards off eBay and stuff. Like I still, just not to flip. I just, you know, I'm just a hoarder. Okay, so I was selling you stuff then. Yeah, 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 (laughs) probably. Let me know. Show me your collection. But yeah, so you kind of did the flipping and you kind of stopped because it's it's really hard to focus on, at least have two different funnels. Because I know flipping, you got to be online all the time, like looking for things. um, You're doing it all the time. And then for me, it was like, at that point, I was like, I took my bed and like pushed it to one side of the room. And then like inventory was just like filling my room with stuff. And it, it like... I was like, okay, like this is going to work for now, but it's not like something maintainable, but it did give me the money in my pocket to kind of like get started with uh, and moving to the next thing, which how I funded all of this and like kind of getting started was with all that money. So it was like, it was a good thing that I kind of had that to start with. And it kind of taught me, I would say some of the basics from an entrepreneurial perspective of like, you have to like, I think so many people kind of miss this sometimes. And or at least I did personally as like kind of like a young guy getting into things. It's like, you have to like, things don't work unless like you crank that gear. It was like, uh, I know like on LinkedIn, we get new people every once in a while that'll kind of pop on. They're like, you know, I'm going to be real consistent. And they're like, there, and they're there, they make it like 90 days or so. And like, then they're off, you know, it's like, you got to crank the gear. And like, I learned that with the flipping stuff, because that's like really, it's really that like you have to pack the boxes, you have to list the stuff, you have to be looking for stuff. And like, you do that all the time and you're kind of on it. I think it teaches you a little bit of that hustle. So it's like a really good entry level thing that like anyone can do if they're looking to get into stuff. 
And like, I tried to get my little brother into it, but he's just not, he wasn't feeling it. I was trying to get him to like take over the thing in some sense. And I was like, going to keep a little bit of money in it and like, uh, help him like it be an advisor in some sense and like, let him run it and keep, you know, get a little money on the back end. He wasn't having it. So <laughs> it's hard with family. I tried to get my sister to like, I was like, come on, we're going to be rich. You know, just help me. Like I got you, but you know, it, it's tough, but I, I can see that. Obviously the fitness. So obviously we know how you did it. Why was it fitness? What did it feel? What kept you with fitness? Fitness like started for me. I was not an athletic kid. I didn't play sports. I didn't like do any of that stuff until like seventh grade when I got um, invited by like my science teacher to go like do like the uh, cross country, like running team. It wasn't even like an official team was like a club. And it was like, they just ran after school and trained for the 5k. And so like, that was like my first like school thing that was sports related. And prior to that, I'll even go a little bit further back. So this is like sixth grade, like first getting into middle school. That year was like really tough for me from just a a social perspective. And I I dealt with a lot of bullying that year and and it really kind of changed. It's it's still stuff that I kind of deal with today. It changed the way that I thought about people and kind of how I experienced people. And and, and, um, when I was coming back out of that, I ended up changing schools that next year, going to the new school kind of getting myself a fresh start. And it was a great opportunity, but I also knew at the same time, like if I did the same, like if I allowed things to be the same, they were going to be the same. And so like I made an effort to kind of like get out of my comfort zone and kind of do some stuff a little bit different than I had before and kind of almost grow up in some sense. Cause I, I that was really the thing. I was like, I still kind of wanted to be a little kid and people, and I kind of lost friends in some sense. And you know, like, looking back, it's not like the end of the world, but then it was, that was when I got into the, that little club was like, I really like this. I like the people here. Like I can kind of do this. Like I wasn't coordinated. So I didn't play any sports like with a ball. Cause I, I still am not coordinated. I can't throw a football. Like I had a girlfriend that could throw a football further than me. It was like, you know, it's not that hard. Once you, I think once you get the motions a little, I'm not saying you, you, you could throw good, throw well, but it's, it's just one of those things I've seen a lot of athletes Sometimes when they try other motions, like one thing is whenever you athletes fight, right? They don't look like boxers, right? They start looking like, you know, kids on the street. And then just like when you see, you know, other boxers dribble a basketball, sometimes they don't look as coordinated, right? Yeah. Well, for me, it was like universally yeah, yeah. uncoordinated. It was like my feet, my arms, like I couldn't do soccer. I trip on myself. I couldn't like hit a, I couldn't like shoot a basketball, throw. It was like, I just stayed away from that stuff, which was probably not like, something I should have done a little bit more of in some sense, but one, but running, it was like so simple. It was like, I literally couldn't mess it up. Like I made that the next year, that seventh, seventh grade, like I barely made the cut to like the track team, middle school track team. And it was like, uh, I ran exhibition for some time, but I realized that like when you have zero like athletic ability in some sense, when you start training and you start doing some regular exercise, you get better really quick. So like I got all the way up to kind of like some B leg races and like eventually like a couple A leg races like that year. And I was like, oh, that was the first time I realized like if you work hard at something, you can get better. And that was like a lesson I didn't really understand until then. The next year coming back into that, I was like, all right, I want to be like really good this year, you know? And so I, I got into it. I was like, running all the time, like training and doing that kind of stuff. And it was like the first thing where I was like, oh, if you work hard, you can get better. And like getting better feels really, really good. And so from a fitness perspective, I was like, all right, what can I do? And from, I'm sorry, from a career perspective, I was like, what can I do where I can like get better all the time? Where like I can be rewarded for like trying to get physically better. And so for me, I was kind of like, hmm, the Marine Corps kind of sounds like a good choice. Cause I was like, I know a lot of guys like you're literally judged on a PT test. And I was like, okay, like, and so I want to max out the PT test and like, I want to be really good at that. And like, yeah, it was kind of a, a simple way of looking at it, but it made me want to get really, really good at that kind of stuff. So I started focusing more and more on it. And I was like, this is the goal. This is like, I'm going to pick this path and I'm going to stick with it. Maybe it's not the best one, but I like it. And I like how working for it makes me feel. And so that was kind of like, I like, um, you know, I liked that process more than anything else. It was never about maxing out the PT test. It was like, I enjoyed the process of getting better at it. So for me, that feeling has always kind of stuck with me. So when I was like, what are you going to do from a career perspective? I was like, if I can be in fitness, that's great because I really like fitness. And so I can kind of merge those two things together. You know, personal training is kind of one of those weird businesses where people 
do judge you based off of your looks in some sense. And I'm going to work out regardless. I was like, I, it's just part of my life. It's who I am. And if I'm a trainer, then that's something that's more of an asset to me in some sense. And so I was like, let's do a little bit of overlap. And that's kind of what kept me in it in some sense for instead of like deviating into something else like sales or or staying trying to trying to do the di- like all digital business kind of thing. I was like, I can kind of overlap things here. And that was like, okay, that makes more sense because then I can get more benefit from one thing. So I think that's really the, what kind of kept me in it. No, that's interesting. You know, I actually wanted to be a gym teacher before. Same line of logic. I was like, I, I used to wrestle in high school and I was like, I also want to be fit. And then, yeah, I mean, I ended up transferring because I went to like one of the top schools in the country for like becoming a gym teacher. But then one of the issues with being a gym teacher is like, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go play with the kids and just work out and whatever, have fun. And you don't, but apparently you can't really do that. Cause like if a kid gets hurt, it's on you. If you play with the kid and they get hurt, it's on you. You know, there was like a lot, a lot of liability that like sucked the fun out. Then I just did something totally different. That's life. So yes, you kind of saw that your why. Now, how'd you get, obviously you did the peanut allergy and you studied for Marine Corps. What else would you say really set you apart? Like what helped you become good at what you do? I would say it was personal experience with the Marine Corps. Like I, when I said like, I, Oh, I really like fitness and like, I want to be like, I want to work out. It's like, I was doing stupid workouts. I had no idea what I was doing. Like <laughs> I, I was like, I was really goofing things up in some sense. And so I ran into a lot of problems. Uh, I kind of ran into walls all the time. Like, okay, well this hurts. And like, that doesn't seem to work. And like, you know, I'm not sure why this is kind of the catalyst for, okay, let's really start to dive into like, the fundamentals of exercise anatomy because I understood it was like, it doesn't matter how hard you work. If you're not doing the right thing, it doesn't matter. I need to understand this stuff a little bit better. When started researching and learning about it, then I really got to the place where I was like, all right, now that I understand this stuff, the main problems I ran into myself was like, I had like some slight scoliosis in my back that like if the recruiters had found would have been an immediate no-go. And then I had some issues like where I, I had a major back injury, kind of like, I think it was like sophomore year or something like that. Cause I was like working out basically with awful technique and like, I had no idea what I was doing. It's kind of just like beginner, like gains faults. You get really strong, you get really confident. You're like, oh, I'm the greatest at this. And then it's like, no, you're not. An injury will cut you back down all the way to where you started, which is what happened for me. I was like out for like six months. I couldn't do anything. And And then that was kind of the catalyst for learning more about this from like everybody that I could. And I found that in the traditional DPT world, so people that like go and get like their doctors of physical therapy, I started researching that first because I was like, okay, like they go to school, they learn this stuff. Maybe that's the route that I should go. And I started like going and talking to them. And and because I was working with therapists at that time because I had an injury. So I was like asking them all these questions and they were nice because they thought it was cool that I was like, you know, kind of interested in this stuff. So they, they wanted to foster that in some sense. So they gave me a lot of really good information, but at the same time I started like, there was holes in what they gave me. And I was like, why? I was like, okay, but like, what about for this? Like from an athletic perspective or like, what about when I'm doing these things? And like, like they were just like, yeah, you know, it's kind of the same thing. And I was like, Hmm, like that's not really an answer. And I just found that I wasn't always getting answers, but then I started finding stuff online from people that were not necessarily practicing PT. They had PT, like the same certifications, that kind of stuff, but they were doing it in a little bit of a different way. And so I started collecting information from those people as well. And they're kind of the outside out of the normal idea of what, you know, kind of traditional therapy is, and they're not inside the medical structure. And so there's like, there's kind of some, you could consider them like hippies in some sense and kind of like the woo woo stuff. And then there's like some like hardcore athletes and then there's like the standard medical PT. And then it's like kind of combining information from everywhere that I could get it on this stuff. And that's when I started to find like certain themes and, and certain like, uh, and I realized looking back what caused my injury and like some issues that I was running into. It's like when I started pulling information from everybody, the picture was way more clear, but it's like these people weren't talking to each other for some reason. Like, you know, the people that had the degrees weren't talking to the people necessarily that were kind of the woo woo. And it's like, there's value in some of that stuff. It's like, yeah, maybe it's not scientifically proven, but the results kind of speak for themselves in some sense. I'm a big believer in that. It's like, if the results are there, but you can't necessarily prove it medically, 
there's still some validation. I mean, you can't write it off entirely, but yes, you have to kind of preface with like, hey, this isn't, you know, necessarily backed up the same way that these techniques are, you know, like, I don't think that makes it bad. I think it makes it experimental, you know, kind of on the edge of what we know in some sense, which is always growing. And so then when these people like don't talk to each other and they're not, they're not listening to each other, there's a lot of opportunity in the middle for people to kind of like myself to kind of pull information and kind of stick it all together. And I was like, okay, well, that's what kind of separates me as from a regular trainer, not a PT, kind of this weird thing in the middle, which created a really kind of blue ocean for myself to kind of go in and start talking about these problems. I was like, this is a totally different solution and a totally different set of problems that most people are listening are normally hearing about when they hear trainer, PT, that kind of stuff. And that's why it's been successful from my perspective. It's just like, there's not a lot of competition because not a lot of people are talking about it. That's what kind of sets me apart in some sense, kind of what that unfolded like. No, that's cool. So how'd you get the job at Crunch Fitness? I went to every gym in the area, kind of like, you know, knocked on. I was like, this is the resume. Like I need a, I need a job. Like I'll take part-time, whatever it is. It was really just a formality uh, to get a job at Crunch because I knew like I was going to do my, I was going to do kind of my own thing. Like I, I knew that I didn't want to be a trainer, but I, I knew I wanted to know what it was like to actually train someone before setting up my own thing and taking someone's money, you know? <laughs> so uh, that was kind of the, the reason behind it, but I just got it like you know, made like a little resume for myself on like one of the word documents, kind of just went in there, talked to people. Um, waiting tables for four years made me really good at talking to people. So I was like, I can go in and I was like, Hey, you know, how you doing? You know, my, my name is Drew and you know, I, I'm looking for work. You know, what can I do here? Is there, is there entry level positions? And kind of just uh, did that everywhere. Got a couple opportunities, took the one that was closest to me just from a driving perspective. And, uh, then I was like, all right, here we go. We're going to kind of start this. I, was, I only did it for like three months though. That was three months, 90 days. And I was out because I realized I was like, oh, this isn't working. This is why I learned so much about what not to do from a training perspective working there. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of people, it's a high turnover industry. Like I, I did a resume for someone who, you know, worked at a couple of gyms. It's like, you know, like the guy who set up the programs and a lot of times it's, the training programs that they give the trainers, right? That's what causes a lot of turnover, right? If you don't give them foundations, because you get people who are just, they don't know what they're doing, right? Because the test isn't too hard, right? Like if, let's say, if you didn't study the stuff, how long would you think it, it would take you to pass it, like study and pass it? Well, you took NASM? Yeah, it's a um, National Academy of Sports Medicine, NASAM. Um, it's a pretty, that's a, like an industry standard test. The, um, like any big box gym will take you with something like that. They'll, they'll be happy to the American family, YMCA, crunch fitness. Like that's kind of the top end one because they're, and that, that if you're like a, a trainer with that, they have a lot of, uh, other things that you can do. Like you can add on to that. There people like them. There typically means you're well-educated on things. I think it said six months was the timeline of like of how long it should take you to learn all of this information from because there's a lot of anatomy involved and that kind of stuff. But when I got it and I looked over what it was, I was like, oh, like I've been kind of learning this stuff for like the past four years from the books that I've been buying. And so we're good. I literally I, I kid you not, I aced the test. I got 100 percent. And then in my head, I was like, that's the easiest thing ever. It's funny. I had a friend that was um in school, I, I was one year too old to qualify for this program when they put it in place. It was like, uh, you could be a certified National Academy of Sports Medicine trainer at graduation. You would get that certification with it, right? And they would pay for it and everything because it was, it was expensive and to get to pay for it. And they teach you everything in school through like a course of uh, two years. And so I was like, I didn't qualify from the um, timeline. I'd aged out one year prior but she did the same thing and, you know, for two years and they paid for it. But I was like, yeah, I did that test in like a day. I was like, you studied for how long for that? No, but, you know, I kind of just razzed her on it for a while because I was like, yeah, I just kind of, I paid for it, took it, aced it. No, no big deal. You know, <laughs> it is a low barrier to entry industry in some sense. But I think that I, I can't remember who, someone put up a post today on LinkedIn and they were asked, you know, should there be more regulation in the personal training industry? And I was like, it's a good question, but I, I lean towards no, because, and my reason is kind of, there needs to be those entry level, those low barrier to entry industries that someone can kind of just go in, make a name for themselves. If they're really good at it, 
that will show and they can start to kind of grind things out because there isn't a lot of opportunities like, well, you have to have this degree or this thing to kind of, to even apply, to even start. And with training, it isn't like that. And I think that's a positive thing because it allows for, I mean, it allows for quick innovation, but it also means that there's a lot of con artists figuring out like what's the difference between the two is difficult for the general public because there's a lot of misinformation because of that. But I like it. I think it's good. I think it's good how it is. And I wouldn't necessarily change it. I would see a positive in educating more people in a public perspective. Like for me personally, long-term goal, I want to build programs that are taught in gym class. Like I want to have the gym teachers teach some of my stuff to the students because it's going to save so much money from a healthcare perspective to work proactively with people. That is a big goal. And that starts like working with individuals and then working like with companies and then like getting to the place where this stuff can be taught in schools and like, but all that will be made possible because I was able to just get started and do it. When you don't have that or when you have people that have that mentality, but they're held back by whatever, whatever the thing is, whatever the thing is that you have to have, they end up going somewhere else. And that would have been me like a hundred percent. If someone had told me, well, you have to go to school. I would have probably, it was like 99% sure said, I'll do something else. I just didn't want to wait in some sense. I'm too impatient. What's the salary like for someone starting out at like a gym? You know, so when you were at Crunch, if you don't mind sharing that. No, no, not at all. I don't know, like from a salary perspective, they were paying like 15 bucks an hour when I was doing training and stuff. And that was kind of when I got started. And I had some commission stuff as as well. So like, it wasn't bad money. Like especially straight out of high school, like if you can get um like my my friend you know who got that certification right as she graduated, then go get a job at a gym, fifteen dollars an hour plus some you know it's not consistent work because it's like uh you know they're kind of you have to schedule people in and like it's not fifteen dollars an hour straight you know for eight hours a day so there is some of that that you have to kind of play with so and factor in from you know a salary perspective but it can vary a lot like there's a there's trainers you know when you start doing your own thing there's a lot of opportunity for you to build yourself like a nice cushion of income and not necessarily have to put in a ton of hours. Like there's gotta be 30 million coaching companies to teach personal trainers how to build a six figure business in 30 days. You know, it's not bad. It's just kind of simple stuff. There's a wide range. Like if you're going to go work at a gym, like you could do a good and if you get to like a really nice gym, like Crunch is not a nice gym. Like it's just I, the one we had there was like 10 bucks a month to join the gym. Like, you know, it just wasn't high end, but a nice high end gym. Like, um, I can't remember what this one is called. Equinox. Yeah. We have one of those and it's like a three story complex with a pool on the roof. They got a bar and like, like it's, it's, a, it's crazy. Like th- those, those gyms, like they're, it's like a couple hundred bucks a month to like be a member there. And I was like, I know like the training for, to be a trainer, like at a gym like that, I know they expect, they probably expect a lot and like have a rigorous, I would assume have a rigorous process for kind of getting people into that position. But I imagine the salary is really good, but I never got to any of that kind of stuff. You know, I just had the one super entry level at the kind of trashy gym for 90 days. And then I was like, all right, you know, I I got the gist of it. I know what not to do. And like, I'm going to be out of here. So what are some mistakes some beginning trainers make? People skills, like you got to have, you got to be able, clients don't like you, be able to listen to what their goals are, then talk to them about what their goals are and how that's going to, and what their limiting thing is, like what the thing is that hold it, that's holding them back from their particular goal and then start developing what a plan looks like. That system for me was really easy because I was always changing my goals. So I was always like, kind of, here's a new goal. Here's the next thing I'm going to do. Here's like a timeline. Here's how I'm going to walk to it. Here's the thing that's not, that's holding me back from reaching that goal. And that's like a process that you need to be able to walk through with a client very clearly so they understand what they're doing, why they're doing it, why this stuff is important and why they need to show up every day. Like if you can't instill that, they're not going to come. You're not going to get paid. Like no one's going to be happy. It, it doesn't work. It works for nobody. That is the number one skill. It's not necessarily like how good of a trainer you are. That stuff like comes with time and and educating yourself and and reading and understanding that the actual working with the client, that was the thing that I learned the most out of that 90 days when I got there. And so when I got my first client for my gym, I was like, oh, I had an idea what I was doing in some sense. I wasn't just blind. 
it made me a little bit more confident, but that's something that a lot of trainers that I, I see when I talk to people that are kind of my age getting into it, they can't articulate that. They can articulate what needs to be done, but not necessarily why and kind of lay out that roadmap for people. If you can do that, you can show them why they need to do all this stuff and it makes it a lot easier. Very good advice. Now, obviously communication is very important. When you go from a gym, like a chain gym, obviously certain systems are in place, right? They're doing the clients, they're doing that. Now, when someone goes off on their own, how do things change? Because now it's not the same that someone walks into the gym and, hey, they, you you get assigned and everything. So can you share some some of that? It goes from being 100% training to like 20% training. Like literally 80% of what I do is not training clients. It's like doing lead generation, like doing marketing and like social media and like all of that stuff. Like it's literally like an 80, 20 it's, it's a, you have to, and that means that you can't spend all of your time training. So you have to start to put in systems for yourself to really leverage your knowledge and leverage what like your, your time spent training. If you expect to be a trainer and have your own business doing it as your nine to five, it doesn't work because who's going to be bringing in the business in some sense for you to do. Like the other thing is if from an overhead perspective, like if you run your own gym, you have so much to, to cover. Like it's, it's a very tough thing to do. And so I recommend like you partner with people like to get started. Like for me, the orange you know, and my branding, you know, and, and if you've uh, ever seen one of my videos, they're all orange, like orange for the gym, orange, black and orange. That's my color. The reason I picked black and orange because the gym that I partnered with was black and orange. It was like, that was it. You know, they had black mats, orange walls. So I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to go with that. You know, everything will match. It'll look great. And it made it a little bit easier for myself to kind of start moving with things. and like, all right, I have a place where I can take people and I can, you know, kind of make it work for myself in some sense, because there's no way you can do all of it right out the gate. Unless like, you're kind of going to go like the, the big business route, kind of get like a chain, you know, or like a franchise gym, you know, take out a big loan on it and do that kind of stuff. And like, I wasn't ready for that. Like I just didn't have the, the expertise, the knowledge that's like, that's more business than it is even training at that point. At that point, you're hiring trainers. So you're not even really doing that anymore. So for me, that's how it shifted. And I like it more because I see myself here for some time, but I do know like there's going to be the next thing. And so whatever that is or what it looks like, I want to be developing more skills than just training. So I like it more in some sense. I feel like I'm learning different things. I'm building a network. I'm developing the skill set of communication in a non-training environment, which is also super important. Like to have all that stuff so that whenever you decide to do whatever the next thing is, I have kind of some assets built for myself. That's what I think about when I think how things have changed, like what things need to be thinking about. Because I don't think I'm going to train forever, but um, whatever I go into next... I know that I'm going to take away a lot of the stuff that I learned from running this business, like a hundred percent. Nice. Nice. What advice would you have for someone who's in high school and is considering being a trainer? Like, what would you tell them? Hey, this is what you got to get started. So you can be that 18 year old, 19 year old who is, you know, working at a gym or, you know, at least in a position like you. At that point, you don't really have that much of an understanding of what training is. And if you think that your certification is going to give you enough knowledge to actually train someone, you're 100% wrong. The reason, like I kind of said earlier, like I wasn't boasting about my knowledge and how great I was, you know, I aced the test without studying for it. That's because the test wasn't that hard. It wasn't that I was super smart. It's not the same thing. I had a bunch of knowledge I'd collected from a ton of different resources. Like most of my books are training books because that's what I was buying at the time. Now I do digital stuff. So like, I like listening to like business books and things like that now. But when I was in school, I actually bought paper books because they had diagrams and I referenced them. And like from a training perspective, you need to be learning way more than what you're learning just from your certification if you really want to be a good trainer and then experiment with it yourself. There's the whole 10,000 hours thing. I don't have 10,000 hours training clients, but I almost have 10,000 hours like working out. <laughs> it's because uh, there were some times where I was doing it like four hours a day. It was like kind of ridiculous. I mean, it was like two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening, kind of like experimenting with mobility and flexibility and, and training stimuluses and all these different things. 
that was really the thing that put me apart. I was like, I really like this. So I'm going to do it all the time. And then I had this understanding of things that you're not going to get from a certification from any book. Like you have to be in the gym doing it in some sense. Like that's what makes a really, really good trainer. Any of the train, like, cause I've worked with trainers before. It's like the really good ones, like they, they walk the walk in some sense. So what's sort of the next step for you? What's the next direction? Immediately, I'm doing more and more hybrid training. So I'm not doing, right now it's kind of, you know, the time of COVID. And so like in-person training is a no-go. I would do some, I do some Zoom call training. I wouldn't recommend that as a business model. Um, it just, it's like Walmart brand personal training and it, it doesn't work and it's just not as great. And it's not good from a time perspective either. You got to put in a lot of time to do that. And uh, so I'm doing more and more hybrid training, kind of like programs and, and coaching and that kind of stuff. And when I build that out more, I'd like to be in a place where when everything starts to kind of come back around, I can start doing like B2B and figure out how I can do actual like programs and courses for departments based off of like what their environment looks like and what problems they're running into with people, whether it's, you know, neck issues, wrist issues, that kind of stuff and provide them assets for their business that they can just have at hand for their employees. So like as they're running in things, instead of waiting for it to become such a problem that they have to go see a doctor and they have to like pull, they have to use insurance and like do all that kind of stuff. Cause that's really expensive. Like healthcare costs is a big part of running a business, especially big business. If you can get people on a preventative, proactive, that type of stuff costs a lot less. And so from a business perspective, I would think, I don't know, cause I haven't started doing this stuff yet that that would be something people would be interested in. You know, what assets could we have for our people so that we can keep the cost of this down, keep them feeling better, keep them, you know, just something that we can have for them. So I want to start building that kind of stuff next. Then uh, after that, public education is the next thing. A lot of the reasons that these are problems is because the information isn't well known. It's not that the information is necessarily super complex. I can teach it to people relatively easily. It's just that it's not something that's brought to be front of mind. We always think our body's good until there's a problem. And that's not the right way to think about it. It's you're developing a problem little by little by little by little. And then something happens and there's you have to do something about it. There's nothing like you don't have a choice at this point anymore. So that's kind of like the three steps, like individuals, business, and then like public education. And I think from in a school system would be the best place to have it because like Gen Z healthcare is going to be insanely expensive because yes, there's like an obesity problem, but second to that, we have a body mechanics issue where we spend all of our time sitting down younger and younger. Cell phones are so bad for your, for your posture Everyone uses them. And I'm not no, I'm not going to tell you don't use a cell phone. Like that's that's stupid. But I am gonna say be aware of what it's doing to you and what the red flags are so you can work proactively, not reactively to it. And so like if a kid understands that, and like I understood that when I was in, when I was like graduating, I was like, look, if I spend all my time sitting down, it's going to start affecting my hips and that's going to affect my training. Now, if you can teach a kid, look, if you spend all your time sitting down, it's going to affect your hips. And then you might have to have back surgery when you're 30, you know, your herniated disc, that kind of stuff. You don't want that, right? So just pay attention a little bit. And here's some information that like can help you. Like taking care of your body is super important. And that's an asset that we all have. And I think we need to be taught how to protect it in some sense. It needs to be everywhere. Because if it was, you'd run into less problems with people getting these injuries that I call it a sitting injury cycle it's cyclical. You get hurt because you sit down all the time and you try to move around. When you move around, you're moving improperly because your body's essentially out of alignment from all the sitting and you know, sedentary environment that you spend time in. That causes an injury. When you get injured, what do you do? Well, you're going to spend more time resting and sitting down and it's kind of cyclical. It just goes around and around and around and around and you get hurt. You never fully recover from it. You know, oh, I hurt my shoulder, you know, back when I was in high school and it's never been the same. It's like, well, that doesn't have to be like that. It's just that there's a cycle that people, and a lot of people don't see it because it's so slow. It's a very slow process. And so it's like, it doesn't really stand out. You know, if you get hit by a bus, you know, that's a problem, right? It hurts right then and there. You might be dead, you know? So it's kind of like the the mountain that's moving over, you know, millions and millions of years. For us, it's like every 10 years, you're kind of starting to run into another problem. And it's like, 
it built up over the course of 10 years of you not paying attention to it. It didn't just happen. Nothing just happens. And so when people are like, oh, my back hurts, I don't know why. It's like, there's a reason. You just don't know what it is because you haven't been paying attention. Yeah, no, it, it, it slowly creeps up on you. You mentioned that you may not be training forever. What would stop you? So obviously you want to do this for a few years. Do you have an, obviously you don't know exactly what's next, but what would sort of excite you? What would make sense in terms of, it doesn't have to be specific, but what type of things would you like to be doing? I have found that I have enjoyed selling my programs. I have enjoyed the sales process. I've enjoyed that to some degree, like getting on calls, doing sales calls. I've learned a lot of a great sales advice off of LinkedIn. Like it's just stuff that's like worth gold. I've read a couple, I've only read a couple sales books. I like no pressure, non-sleazy sales. I like to kind of figure out what a person's going through, what their situation is, and see if I can provide them a solution to that. And and if I can, awesome, let's work together. And if not, let me point you to someone who I think can. And like I've enjoyed that in some sense. So there's a potential of me kind of going into a sales role at some point. I think there's that. There's also the potential, and I don't think I would necessarily stop this this thing. I would, um, you know, just figure out how someone else can kind of take over it in some sense. Maybe your brother? You think he'll do it? <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know about that. You know, but he. Um, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> and the other thing that kind of interests me is is real estate. I've looked into it just from a, a real estate sales perspective, that's kind of the same thing, kind of like selling houses, being a realtor. It's kind of always, I don't know, it just stood out to me a little bit. The other thing is like, I, I've always understood that investing in real estate is a crucial thing for wealth building. And that's something that I'm interested in. I definitely want to uh, work on those things. My my dad came from a, a pretty tough situation where he's been and where he's gotten our family to is leaps and bounds. And like, that progression in some sense, I wasn't around for it. You know, it was something that he did on his own before he met my mom, but it's something that I can appreciate. Like I can hear that story in some sense and, or the parts of it and just know like that doesn't just happen. Like that takes a lot of direct effort. And so for me, I feel a lot of personal responsibility to kind of continue the legacy in some sense, you know, to kind of keep pushing the needle forward uh, and see what the next level is. He's never been really big into investing from a, a stocks and real estate perspective because he never had that when he was like you when he had money it was too old to kind of get into that stuff at some point you know it just didn't make realistic sense you know he has a business uh, now and that's kind of his main thing and but I always thought I was like okay so I need to start figuring out these things because like we don't have this in our family like that's something that doesn't exist so I need to kind of pioneer that I was like, if I'm kind of a realtor and I start to kind of get into that area, I can start to learn about it a little bit more. At least I'll be in the ecosystem. And uh, I know that like some of the real estate investors that I follow on YouTube, but kind of watch their stuff, you know, they're realtors and that's how they kind of stay in the loop in some sense. And it gives them a competitive edge. And so like, that's another thing that I thought would be good. And I was like, well, I could do kind of like a sales to real estate and kind of throw all that stuff together. So I was like, that might be something that, you know, kind of ends up happening later down the line. But, uh, it's just kind of a matter of how things go and what I like, how things change, you know, everything, everything can, you know, I saw everything can get crazy real quick. So, you know, you never, you never know. Yeah. No, I mean, look, that's life. You get ups and downs and you just got to be, you know, put yourself in a position where you can adapt and pivot. And it looks like you've successfully done that. So let's start to wrap up. How would someone get in contact with you? LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the best place to find me because I'm on there pretty much every single day. Uh, just Drew Holbert. It's a D-R-E-W-H-U-L-B-U-R-T. You know, that's kind of, most people kind of put an E in there sometimes. And the guy with the orange branding, uh, if you find me on there, you know, uh, connect with me, follow me, whatever you want to do. And uh, that's where I keep a lot of my information. You can kind of see a lot of the uh, stuff I talk about from a training perspective. I put out on LinkedIn a lot of the information and the actual training. I like to share it. And then if people are running into particular problems that they want to work on or they need to they need maybe need a little bit of extra help addressing then I have people come work with me but a lot of this content is up on my LinkedIn page for free for people to look at so they can kind of start to understand these things and learn about them on their own because I do think that's really what people need the most and then if they need a little bit of guidance and some extra support some accountability that's always huge that kind of stuff you know then you can kind of message me and we can talk about it if you need something. All right, cool. So thank you so much for your time, Drew. 
looking forward to a second episode when you who knows how long that'll be how many years you start the next thing but appreciate your time thank you for sharing your knowledge and you have a good day thanks man all right have a good one another great episode thank you for listening hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot stay tuned for the next episode this show is sponsored by you no degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias if you think the show is worth a dollar or two please check out our patreon page any amount is appreciated and we'll go towards making future episodes even better follow us on instagram or snapchat at no degree podcast on facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc if you want to personally reach out to me connect or follow me on linkedin at janayat iqbal spelled j-o-n-a-e-d last name i-q-b-a-l until next time no degree no problem no degree.com yeah so you got no degree no problem no problem any problem we can solve we got this linkedin somnia Keeps us evolving, growing in the knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree. No problem, any problem we can solve LinkedIn Somnia keeps us evolving We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going